Hello and welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm Jess and this is the podcast where I talk about life's toughest topics with lots of different brilliant people. Today's episode is called Let's Talk About Intimacy. I'll be joined by world-renowned psychologist Heidi Schleifer. Heidi has worked with thousands of couples from all over the world to help them reconnect and rebuild their relationships. Join us as we unravel the meaning of the survival dance, visit the neighborhoods of each other's life experiences, and understand what it means to cross the bridge back into intimacy. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Hi, Heidi. How are you? Hello, Jessica. Welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm so thrilled to be here and have you as a guest. We're in Washington, D.C. right now. So if we hear sirens and stuff going past, that's why. And we're in your beautiful home, so thank you for having me mm, and for hosting a pleasure, us. A pleasure. I cannot wait to dive in and talk to you about everything. I, I'm so sad we only have an hour of the podcast. I wish we had more time because you're just so brilliant. But today we're going to talk about intimacy. So this episode is called Let's Talk About Intimacy. And I want to dive into what that word means, how it can play different roles in different people's lives. And I think we should just figure out the meaning of life between you and I, because if there's <laughs> anyone to do that with, it's you. <laughs> so will you tell us a bit about your background and what you do? Mm-hmm. So my background, I was born in a refugee camp in the Second World War and lived in Belgium mm-hmm. and then was imported to America by an American, was a young bride, arrived in this country, and uh, slowly but surely developed into learning how to be a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And then I've done my life first with people, individuals and families, and then now I specialize just in partnerships, couples. Mm-hmm. and call myself a relationship builder. Wow. And I don't see myself as a therapist anymore, but really as a guide Yeah. for people through this jungle mm-hmm. uh, called relationships wow. and how to really navigate there. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is I, I told you I want to tell you a story because it has to do with navigating in the jungle. Yes. And, and how... I never knew it then. It became the basis for what I'm doing now. Please, please tell us. So I lived in Antwerp, Belgium, and my parents as Jewish people still felt very afraid of the world Mm. and wanted to cocoon me in a world of Jewish people and leave the rest of the world outside. And so as a young woman... I decided to have a double life. I would have the official life as a Jewish girl, Mm -hmm. and I'd have the unofficial life where I would have friends that are Christian or Muslim, or at that time there were no Muslims yet in my town. There are many now. And what decade was this? This was in in the 1950s. Wow. So you were born what year? I was born in 1944. Okay, was that a, a year before World War Two ended? Right. Wow. Right. Okay. So I had this double life, and the reason my parents were so afraid that I would know non-Jewish people is because they were afraid I would fall in love with a young man and actually marry somebody who's not Jewish. And of course, in my double life, I did fall in love with a young man 
who was not Jewish, and we became deep friends. Mm. And then one day he said, look, Haiti, either you marry me or I become a priest. <gasps> oh, my God. That's an ultimatum if I've ever heard one. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I cannot take upon myself the responsibility for this man becoming a priest for the rest of his life. And I decided that I needed to have my parents catch me with him because I knew they would put an end to it. I didn't know how to put an end to it. I didn't have the courage. So I walked with him hand in hand in a place where I knew my parents would find us. And they did. So he was a Christian And he was a Catholic. A Catholic, okay. And, you know, he was going to be a Catholic priest. And I just couldn't take that responsibility. Yeah. So they put me in a quarantine, my parents. I couldn't leave our apartment. They were Like being grounded? Totally grounded. I mean... For how long? For as long as they deemed necessary for me to get over this love. Oh, my goodness. So I wrote to my cousin in Sao Paulo. This is a very interesting cousin, and there's a long story there. She was in Auschwitz, and then she was on the Exodus boat. Okay, hold on. So many amazing layers to this story. She was in Auschwitz? She and her sister. As a prisoner? Yep. And, And their mother, who was my mother's sister. And they survived, and they were on the Exodus boat. This is quite a something. But meanwhile, she married and lived in Sao Paulo, and I wrote to her, and I said, listen, I'm a prisoner in my own home. She invited me. Mm. I went to Sao Paulo, and somehow I figured out that Robert, that man, Mm -hmm. the cousin of Robert, lived in Sao Paulo. (gasps) Her name was Lucy. Wow. I went to see Lucy. I said, hey, Lucy, I'm a friend of Robert. We became fast friends. And Lucy had just come out of a cast that she'd been in her whole entire life in, as a result of scoliosis. Wow. And they deemed it okay for her to get out of the cast. Sure. And she and I began to dream of an adventure. We have to do an adventure. And how old were you when you I went was, to Brazil? I was 19. Oh, my God. Goodness. Well, Lucy and I decide we're going to take a boat down the river Paraná, which mm-hmm. is a river that goes through the jungle of Brazil. And there are these special boats that take the in- indigenous people, you know, with their mm-hmm. goats and their children and mm-hmm. their chickens and their families. And, and it stops in various parts of the jungle, and then they get off to go into the jungle to where they live. The jungle being the Amazon? Yeah. So Lucy and I go on that boat, and it's a it's a three week journey, mm-hmm. and we're the only people who don't speak the language, and the only people who don't know the jungle really, you know, mm-hmm. and we're just in awe. And Lucy, during her time in the, in the cast, used to draw. She was an extraordinary artist, and so she and I would sit all day on a part of the boat that was like a plank that took people down to the jungle and it was attached to the boat on the bottom but on the top it was not and so we felt like it was our own private little cocoon over there and people were on the boat and we were there and she was drawing all day and I was just having the time of my life. Wow. But what we didn't know is that the river Paraná can go from completely peaceful and quiet to wild and stormy and suddenly it went wild and stormy and the boat and the plank started 
to go apart from each other and we were holding on <gasps> to the top you know of that plank and the people of the boat tried to bring us into the boat and I was flexible because I hadn't been in a cast so that I could help with them lifting me in but Lucy was not flexible and the boat and the plank closed up on her and she died what right there and then they pulled her in and there was my friend Lucy dead oh my god and everything I'm going to tell you now I have no understanding of which is first of all that I organized the whole group that was there to stand around Lucy's body and to pray together how did I ask them to do it I don't know but it's that place of the humanity mm. where we are together yeah. and we're the same mm -hmm. and they understood that, that this was a time for prayer and we just mm. did and one person sang and I cut a piece of her hair put it in my pocket and when we were done with that they made the decision to get off of, get us off the boat because you cannot have a corpse on a boat what happened to her body so I'll tell you so they took us off the boat I mean she was still totally like herself and they brought us to a little a little um chapel that was somewhere in the jungle and they left us there so I'm 19 my friend is dead and I'm in a chapel in the middle of the Amazon jungle that's the most bonkers story I think I've ever heard in my entire life and so I'm hearing a voice that says her body needs to be embalmed you're gonna walk and I'm gonna guide you in the jungle and there's gonna be a road and a car will come and you'll take that car and it'll go to a village and there will be a doctor and the doctor will come to embalm her. There will be a telephone and you'll call San Paolo so that a plane can come get you to bring you back to her parents. And so... Literally, that's what the voice said to you. That's what the voice said. And I went. Well, what other choice did you have? Right. And I'm hearing, put your foot here. Put your foot here. Now the jungle comes to you the top of your thigh you know and there's all kinds of things crawling in there but I'm just listening to the voice that says put your foot here put your foot here and I do and I get to a road and there's a car and it goes to a village and there's a doctor and a phone and the doctor comes back and bombs Lucy's body mm. and two days later a plane comes and gets us back to Sao Paulo and I go to see her parents. Did she go with you? The body went with you? The, the body went with me. Mm. And we went to her parents and her parents were the most amazing people. All they wanted to know was she happy. Mm. And of course she was ecstatic mm -hmm. because you know she had been imprisoned her whole life and suddenly there she was in freedom drawing and everything was so gorgeous and I they wanted to know every single detail of what mm. we did every single day and how happy she was. Yeah. And I just took my time to tell them and then I pulled out the, sh the hair mm. that I had and I gave it to them. Oh. And I went back to my cousins and you know what? I didn't want to live. You know, it was really clear that the person who should have died was me because I had the freedom. I was not in a cast. Mm all those years and here's my friend Lucy finally free and dead I decided I don't want to live was that survivor's guilt it's called that yes. you know I mean it 
it was just what I felt, you know, that I shouldn't be living. Mm. And I decided I was just going to be reckless and walk in front of a car. And, mm-hmm. and as I was doing it, really stepping down to just walk in the traffic, yeah. that voice said, I didn't guide you all the way through the jungle for you to take your life now. And it became clear, mm-hmm. not so clear then as when I look back now, that it said to me, look, you have a mission. You know, you're here for a real purpose. And now I can say to you, it's about guiding people in the jungle, the yes. jungle of their relationships, you see. Wow. But it, I didn't know anything about yeah. that then. I now became a real specialized guide mm-hmm. of people through the jungle of their relationships. I'd go into the jungle with you. <laughs> And so then I went back home. And what was amazing is that that's when I met my husband, Yumi. Mm -hmm. Now, Yumi lived in Romania. And when the Second World War broke out, his parents actually went to New York to the World's Fair. His mother wanted to bring the family out of the fire she could feel Mm -hmm. was going to engulf Europe. The kids didn't go with two girls, two boys. And ultimately, in 1944, the girls were put on a boat that went from Constanza, Romania, to uh, Palestine. And there was no room for the boys. The the boat already was just too full. And so the boys went by train via Turkey with an ant. The boat of the girls was torpedoed, and every survivor machine-gunned. The only couple by, who? by the Germans. Okay. 1944. Yeah. Ten days before I, w- I was born, August 10th. Wow. 1944. And the only couple that survived that were uh, a couple where the woman was pregnant six months, and they were professional swimmers, and they swam under the Black Sea and got to a Turkish village, and gave birth there to a child, a boy. And Yumi and I have gone to that village because Yumi still feels like at some point he'll see his sisters. They were saved by fishermen and, mm. you know, he's, he looked for them for mm. such a long time. Wow. But you see, what he knew was something I had learned, which was to choose life after loss. You know, when you go through the depth of loss and you say, I'm choosing life. Mm-hmm. And in my case, it was I chose life because I heard that voice saying, you can't, yeah, it's not your life, mm-hmm. you know. It's you, not yours to give it's up. It's not yours to give up, exactly, beautifully put. And for Yumi, it was also, you know, he came to America, he went to Palestine, he was there for a year in Jerusalem, and then he came to America. He fell in love with a young woman at the university in Colombia. They were going to marry, and she went to visit her uncle in, at the time it was Israel, in Israel, before the wedding, and she sat at a windowsill with her uncle, and a Jordanian sniper killed them. And here is Yumi sitting in the cafeteria at Colombia with a newspaper, and there's a picture of that murder. Here's the loss again. And Yumi even though inside of him had this scream that only came out through the safety of our relationship, Mm. made the decision to live again and to live again and to marry. Wow. Marry me, you know. And the two of us knew that piece so deeply. And I 
just say that your soulmate, the person with whom you're ultimately going to do your life, is somebody who knows the hero's journey you know. There is something they deeply, deeply live that you also live. In our case, it was making the choice to live after horrendous loss. Wow. And so we got married, the two of us, you know, and knew that piece so well of the hero's journey. Did you know that about each other before you got married? Yes. So you were able to really lay the foundation of... These, these have been our experiences. Exactly. I was raw. Right. You know, when I met him, I yeah. had just lost Lucy. Yeah. I was raw. And as I shared with him, he shared with me. Wow. And we both began to see that yeah. we knew the human hero's journey in the same way. Yes. And when you listen to couples, you begin to see that they know each other's hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And that they understand it in a totally unique way. And that intimacy is actually into me see. Mm-hmm. You see, mm. into me see. Mm-hmm. And soulmates, when they meet, actually can into me see. Yeah. And that's what happened with that's us. That's incredible. And the word intimacy is so multi layered. I think you can have intimacy with a higher power. You can have intimacy with a friend, familial intimacy, sexual intimacy, relationship intimacy. It's How would you describe that word intimacy if you just had to give it a definition? You know, I just gave it to you. It really is intimacy because no matter what realm yes. the intimacy is, physical, emotional, spiritual, mm-hmm. it's about what I now call visiting the world of the So the definition I give is really intimacy, meaning I can visit your world Mm -hmm. and I can land in your world. You've invited me there over Mm -hmm. the bridge. You know, Mm -hmm. there's this invisible bridge between us. And that bridge spans from the world called Haiti Mm -hmm. to the world called Jessica. Mm -hmm. And that when you and I are intimate... Mm We actually know how to cross that bridge and land in the world of the other. So right now you've crossed the bridge to land in my world. And because you're such a good listener, you actually landed there. And I took you to a neighborhood. And the neighborhood is called The Story in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And so I like the metaphor of our world being filled with neighborhoods. I love that. Some we know, some we don't know. Like I have a lot of neighborhoods in my world I've never visited and as I grow and expand and become more conscious, yeah. I know more of my neighborhoods. My mind is blown, Haley. <laughs> like, I've never thought about it like that. You, you Literally, you, you've created this own world for yourself and you get to explore it. What a freedom and a joy there is in that. Exactly. And it's wow. filled with such interesting neighborhoods. Some are precious, some are difficult, some are scary you know there are scary neighborhoods in your world you you need to hold somebody's hand even to go inside of those yeah you see and so intimacy is our capacity to cross the bridge to visit every single neighborhood in the world Mm. of each other wow every single yes and as you grow in life Mm -hmm. neighborhoods get added Mm -hmm. so for example in my life I had a, I had a diagnosis of breast cancer. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I had chemotherapy and uh, radiation therapy. And so I have a neighborhood called breast cancer. But Yumi said that's not a good name for that neighborhood. <laughs> he says we have to give it a name because, uh, you know, it's an adventure. We're living. Yes. He gave it the name Rallying Around the Boob. (laughs) (laughs) And so I have a Rallying Around the Boob neighborhood. I love it. Everybody who rallied, Mm -hmm. he called them the Boob Brigade. (laughs) (laughs) We had an international Boob Brigade. (laughs) And when we went to the doctor, we would say to the doctor, are you willing to be on the Boob Brigade? Mm -hmm. And those that didn't find this funny or didn't want to know more about it, we're not going to be part of our adventure. They mm-hmm. got only the, the brigaders, the boo brigaders. Yes. And so that neighborhood got added to my world. It wasn't one I knew mm-hmm. I would have, mm-hmm. but it's in my world. Yes. You see? And so as you live your life, neighborhoods get added mm-hmm. and your world gets richer. Because yes. the more neighborhoods, the richer your world. Absolutely. So when you have a neighborhood that you maybe haven't discovered or you maybe know about it but you haven't been to yet within your own world and you are in a situation where your partner's not willing to venture there either, how how do people make it across that bridge when they're feeling afraid to do so? This is such a wonderful question because that's where I come in. Mm-hmm. See, I am now a guide mm-hmm. for people across the bridge Mm -hmm. and when they have a neighborhood they are aware of and they're afraid to go there i'm the one who knows how to take them over the bridge and how to actually enter the scary neighborhood yeah you see and do people find that it's as scary as they thought it was going to be interestingly enough the moment you enter a neighborhood Mm -hmm. with another Mm -hmm. with their eyes their face their breath their presence mm-hmm. and all those are extraordinary elements Yeah, because the scary part is you've been alone in that neighborhood. That's the scary part. Mm-hmm. The moment your partner steps in there and you start walking the streets, you get to the main square of that neighborhood and you know what the main square is? Yeah. The main square is something life-affirming, life-giving, exciting, uh, coherent. It's something you've never known about yourself. Mm -hmm. You needed somebody to hold your hand to enter so that you could get to the main square, the main square of every neighborhood, no matter how scary to get into. Mm -hmm. The main square is life-affirming, life-giving, coherent, clear, Mm -hmm. radiant. Do you think, in terms of neighborhoods, because I'm loving this analogy, obviously there's different neighborhoods that people have you know not everybody has a breast cancer neighborhood not everybody has a sexual abuse neighborhood whatever it is but do you think that there's a certain number of and if there are what are they neighborhoods that everyone has that they've got to go into and and get to the main square of (laughs) what an interesting question you know we all have the teenage years neighborhood for example yeah and those that's a very the developmental years. Yeah, yes the yeah. developmental years you mm-hmm. know so the things that are a natural part of the human history the, the human journey mm-hmm. those neighborhoods we all have mm-hmm. we don't all have an incest neighborhood or breast cancer neighborhood or you know a um, loss of a parent as a young person neighborhood you mm-hmm. know we 
don't all, but all the neighborhoods have a main square that's life-giving. Yeah. And that's the part that amazes mm. me. It amazes mm. me because when I now explore with people the neighborhoods, every neighborhood, no matter how painful and difficult, the main square is life-giving. Wow. That, that's and extraordinary. So when we'll people, build it. We will wire this place. Yes. Way. When people get to that main square and they find out that it is life-affirming and life-giving, what's the stage what after that? What happens there is we there for a while and usually there's either a song or a psalm mm-hmm. or a poem written about that main square you know it's amazing we sit there and then we sing or we dance mm-hmm. and it's like that's the real neighborhood and the neighborhood gets a new name it gets the name of the main square wow that's incredible so that's the work i do yeah and that's the work of intimacy meaning mm-hmm together discovering the main squares of every neighborhood of our world Mm -hmm. i love that my mind's blown i'm never gonna not think about it like that now (laughs) free therapy (laughs) when you host a podcast (laughs) what do you think is the most challenging type of intimacy between the ones we mentioned earlier whether it's physical emotional spiritual financial familiar what do you think is the toughest generally for people to try and navigate that bridge into the other person's world you know it's different for everyone Mm -hmm. because you know if you grew up in a family where finances were violent Mm -hmm. or where sexuality was violent Mm -hmm. or where the regular daily life was violent then those are the tough neighborhoods. And so depending on what occurred Mm -hmm. in the journey of your life, those are the tough neighborhoods. And you know, I do something that I call unraveling the survival knot, where people have a difficulty in their intimacy actually is because of something I call the survival knot, where my toughest neighborhood meets your toughest neighborhood. Mm. And that's where my greatest yearnings meet your toughest defenses and vice versa and so that place is called the impasse issue Mm -hmm. and it's like a knot and there's no energy there so even the most intelligent creative people have no energy there so they're not creative Mm -hmm. and so they do the same thing over and over again over years and finally either get divorced or resigned or whatever yeah and so I finally realized, now that I know how to guide people of the bridge to visit neighborhoods, we can actually unravel the knot, wow. which means to get into the toughest neighborhoods on both sides mm-hmm. and actually go to all the layers of that neighborhood, including the childhood piece, till mm-hmm. out of being in the main square and liberating the childhood, people mm-hmm. suddenly look at each other with renewed energy, renewed creativity, and they say, oh my goodness, We now know exactly what to do Mm -hmm. because it isn't that people don't know what to do. It's just that that knot, that survival knot, doesn't give them there the energy, the creativity, the flow Mm -hmm. to know what to do. Yeah. Do you think it's easier for couples to connect if their neighborhoods are similar or it doesn't matter and it's a neighborhood is a neighborhood? A neighborhood's a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you something. Couples are never similar. As a matter of fact, it's only incompatible people who fall in love. Really? Oh, my gosh. Oh my and you know what? The grandmother of a friend said, listen, if you're the same, one of you is superfluous. <laughs> 
It won't work. Right? Wow, yeah. So we really do fall in love with somebody incompatible because what we fall in love with Mm -hmm. is what we see in them that we are disconnected from, that's human, Mm. but for whatever reason, our own journey, we disconnected and we see it over there and it's like, whoa. We crave it, we want it. Yes, we crave it, I want it. It's it's me, but it's over there. But all that is unconscious. And then when we actually get to see it, we think, oh, you're so different from me. Of course you are. You're connected where I'm disconnected. I'm connected where you're disconnected. Yes. You see. So when, okay, so if we fall in love mostly with people that are incompatible to us, how do we go about getting into a relationship that is healthy, where we're compatible, there's good, healthy intimacy? What work do people need to do on their own before they can even find that partner? that... You mean before finding the partner? Yes. Okay. Because there's this big wave right now, especially with millennials, of self-work and that every single person needs to have a therapist and what ancestral traumas are you healing before you meet your partner? Like almost like ritualized getting ready of oneself to meet this ultimate person. You know, I see it a bit differently as you can imagine. There is a book called Marry Yourself First. Okay. And so that's that idea. Yes. You know, marry yourself first and then you'll, you'll yeah, be able yeah. to get married. And I think rather that we need to know that whoever we're going to really ultimately fall in love with and want for a long-term relationship will be a profoundly incompatible human being. Really? Let's so just know that. You shouldn't be sworn off or... Totally not the opposite. We really? welcome the incompatibility, welcome the difference, because if you're the same, one of you is superfluous. Let's really be two very different people. Yeah. How many people in general have, have people worn off? And I'm thinking for my own journey, like how many people have we run off because we think, oh, you're you're too different than me. And, and so you write them off and you've missed out. You have actually met the potential yeah. of your f- total growth, mm-hmm. your total uh, coming to wholeness. Yeah. And so, yeah, welcome that incompatible person. And actually, the closer you become, Mm -hmm. the more intimate you become, the more different you become. Mm -hmm. Because you become who you really are. And each person, thank goodness, is completely different from the other. It's extraordinary. I mean, it's miraculous when you think about it. It is. And so, it's embracing the difference Mm -hmm. that makes the difference. What things do you think people need to be on the same page about? So now that's a different uh, concept on the same page. Two very different people Mm -hmm. on the same page about how they want to raise their kids. Right. On the same page about how they want to spend their money. On the same page about how much they want to travel. But that's different than being the same. Right. You see two very different people who are completely incompatible and who learn how to be on the same page because they visit neighborhoods. So I'll tell you yes. a story. So Yumi, I don't know if you know, he was a young man, had a heart attack, and then he had a quadruple bypass operation, and then he had six stents, two, 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 and the last two were complicated, and the doctor says, don't travel, Yumi. Don't, you, you need to rest. 
Don't even go to Miami. We lived in Orlando to visit your dad. We came home and Yumi said, you know, we're going to visit my dad, of course, and we're going to go to South Africa. I said, Yumi, are you nuts? <laughs> if you can't go to Miami, you're okay. going to go to South yeah. Africa. Okay, we start to have a power struggle. And the last thing we do is what we teach. We teach people to cross the bridge. We totally forget about it because I'm right, right, Jessica? I'm right. I'm the right, doctor you're right. Said, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Finally, Yumi said, what do you think? Maybe we should cross the bridge. We teach it. Maybe we should walk our talk. And I said, good idea. So we sat down two weeks after really fighting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now we do what you do when you bridge. The first thing you do is you sit the way you and I are sitting right now, eyeball to eyeball, mm -hmm. at 18 inches or a little bit too far. Like it's a little, okay. that's it, that's 18 inches. And the reason 18 inches is because when a baby is born, they look into the eyes of their mother and father at 18 inches because there you can really see the landscape of the face. Mm -hmm. And you look with eyes that say, thank you. Thank you for life, and thank you for being here, and thank you for marrying me, and thank you for being my partner. You just say thank you because you're beginning to fill the space between you with gratitude. Mm. So we did. So that's the beginning of a bridge. And so we sat, and you know, we started to cry just from realizing that for two weeks in fighting, we hadn't even looked at each other, or we were throwing darts with our eye. And so then we decided who's going to be the first visitor over the bridge. And I asked Yumi, would you please come? I'd like to host you. And when you landed in my world, I only had one sentence to say, and it was, don't die. Don't die. I was so afraid mm. to lose him, and I just started sobbing, and he just held me. You know, he was on my side of the bridge. He held me. I was in the neighborhood of don't you die. Mm -hmm. And I stayed there, and he held me till I really felt like I had sobbed it out. And then I went on his side of the bridge, and I was the visitor, and he was the host. Mm. And he said three things that have changed my life. Mm. The first thing he said is, I am not a heart. I am a man with a heart. And what I realized was that I had objectified the man I love. You know, the, the philosopher that inspires our work called Martin Buber says there's only two ways you can be with another person. They can be a person, a thou, a divine being, mm -hmm. or they can be an object. And that often, unconsciously, we objectify others. Mm -hmm. And I had objectified my man. I had made him into a heart, not a man with a heart. Mm -hmm. And it was an enormous realization because, oh my goodness, I never thought I could objectify the man I love, but right. I had. Second sentence. So I repeated it, so that's part of visiting is repeating it once you integrate the sentence. Mm -hmm. The man with the heart that I am wants to say, yes, this is a good day to die. And I realized I had rather him half alive, but still there, than fully alive and then dead. But how can I control the person I love to be half alive? Mm -hmm. That's not love. Mm. And I realized that that is the wise thing to do, is to live your life fully. If you die, you die alive, having really given your full passion into your life. Mm. Oh, my goodness. And I realized that I have done the opposite, control so that he would not be fully alive. Mm. And so, yes, the man with the heart that you are wants to say, yes, this is a good day to die. I'm alive. Mm. 
after he said the third sentence, he said, so that man wants to go to South Africa. And what we then did is we together concocted the third option. My father used to say, when there's two options, pick the third. Mm. And the third option can only come when you're really connected. Right. And the third option was we would go, we would change our itinerary so it's more realistic and not teach as many classes. And, and you know, we did it. Wow. And we celebrated his 70th birthday there. Oh. And we got upgraded by total miracle to the most beautiful suite we had ever, ever even imagined could exist. Wow. And on the way back, the pilot of uh, South African Airlines had been to our workshop and upgraded us to first class. And so, you know, you do the third option, not yes. the first or the second, right? Yeah. You do the third that comes from connection yeah. and mm-hmm. miracles. That is amazing. Abound. I love this idea of the bridge. And I'm sitting here as you're talking and, and wondering how many people are just oblivious that there's even a need for a bridge and that's a whole other issue. But how many of it, and I would guess quite a high percentage, of people that see the bridge, but what stops the connection is they're just so scared to take that first step. Exactly. They're like, what if it falls apart? Exactly. It's the fear of being vulnerable and exposed. Yes. And yet, as you've said so many times already, like that when you get to the square of the main part of the work it's life-giving and affirming and beautiful and safe right but they're so scared it's not going to be so they don't even want to take that first step it's like it's like when you know you're wrong and if you could just break the silence by going i got that wrong and i'm really sorry right how much would be healed but people don't want to do it well here's the thing i the guiding principle Mm. That survival dance, which you and I were for two weeks in the survival dance, will always disconnect you mm-hmm. more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And when Yumi said, let's do, let's walk our talk, mm-hmm. he basically said, let's stop being disconnected. Mm-hmm. That will always, what will connect you are three invisible connectors. One is honoring that space between where the relationship lives. Mm. That Martin Buber, the philosopher, said your relationship lives in the space between you and that space is sacred. And in a fight, you pollute the space. Mm. And what we were doing once we sat with each other, we filled it with gratitude. Mm. That's one connector, the space. The second connector is the bridge. How to visit and host so that you can visit every neighborhood and feel intimacy into VC, right? Mm-hmm. And the third one is called the encounter. The encounter is where souls connect, where souls meet. It's that magical time that everybody knows where suddenly you feel so at one with a person. That's Mm -hmm. the encounter. You can have it with music. Sometimes you feel it with music. Sometimes you feel it in nature. That's the encounter. And we are capable of the encounter. And when you honor the space and you cross the bridge, you create the conditions for the encounter. And that's what you and I had done that day. Wow. You know, we filled the space with gratitude. We crossed the bridge. And before you knew it, we encountered each other in don't die, because he feels the same way, as afraid as I am of mm-hmm. me dying. And then we met each other in we're not an object. We're a person, mm-hmm. a person who wants to say yes to life completely, even if it means I'm going to die right there. Mm-hmm. And then to grab with passion life. And that's what we did. Wow. So that's the guiding principle. You know, when you feel disconnected, you are polluting the space between. Mm. And you can just sit 
Yeah. 18 inches. Look at each other. Take mm. a moment to breathe, to remember how miraculous it is that you're alive in this moment mm -hmm. with this other person. Yeah. And then you cross the bridge. And you so will many people can do that. I know you will inevitably have an encounter. And imagine if our world leaders could do that. My goodness, that is my big dream. And I told you, I want to work. You're going to do it. Yep. I want to work from 75 to 85, right? Mm -hmm. Like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Long and what life. I want to do now is I really want to bring the bridge to the influential Yes, well, people. I have no doubt that you will at all. That's no my big dream. Yeah. How imperative do you think it is for someone to be able to connect with themselves before they can connect with the other person? And this idea of sitting 18 inches apart, what does a person have to do on their own work to even be in a place to show up for that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There are two paradigms. One is called the individual paradigm. Mm -hmm. What does a person have to do to prepare themselves for that? Yes. The relational par paradigm. A person only prepares themselves through relationship itself. Wow. And that's what Martin Buber says. It's through the thou that I become I. It's by honoring you. It's by looking into your eyes. It's yeah. by facing myself with you mm -hmm. that I become who I really am. Yeah. It's a very different paradigm. And our Western culture mm -hmm. is more individual paradigm oriented. Yes. Let me first prepare myself. Yeah. This particular way of life that I'm describing is a relational paradigm. I prepare myself by being with you. And the you, can that be your family, your friends, or does it, it have be, to be... No, it can be any human being. So it's another soul. Yep, you know, like I'll tell you, do I have time? You, you have all the time you okay. ever want. We'll keep rolling until <laughs> okay. you want to stop talking. <laughs> so I was in Stockholm, and Scandinavian Airlines was striking, and I needed to get back home. And uh, I called the airport. They told me, come at 3 o'clock in the morning. You may be getting a ticket. So I went, and at, eight, at 3 o'clock in the morning, there was already this long line, and I'm thinking, oh. And then Mr. Number 2 didn't want to wait any longer, gave me his number, and now I'm near the counter. And Mr. Number 1 is done, and it's me. And the woman looked at my ticket, and she barks at me, and she says, you have two tickets, and there's absolutely nothing I can do for you. Oh. Well, you know the neighborhoods, right? So I'm thinking, wow, that woman is in the neighborhood of exhaustion. I can just her mm. and so I simply looked at her for a moment thinking I know that neighborhood and it's a tough one to live in and I said then I did what I teach I looked at her and it was all the compassion in my voice I just said uh, so I hear you say that there's really nothing you can do for me I have two tickets now she looked at me because you know what I don't think she heard a human voice for quite a while Mm -hmm. So she looked, where does that voice come from? And she barked, no, take a look at this line. I haven't slept in three nights. I knew, you know, she was exhausted. So mm -hmm. I'm looking, I'm, right now I'm looking, and I'm looking at that neighborhood in her world, that neighborhood of thorough exhaustion. Mm -hmm. And now we're looking at each other. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, so you have this long line now, and you haven't slept, and you're so tired. She smiles, you know, like, whoa, you're with me, you're yeah. that's into me, see? Yeah. And so she said, gosh, she says, I'm so sorry that I can't do anything for you. See, like her it's all essence, it took. yeah. 
And I, I looked and we now are totally smiling at each other. And I said, you know, you're really sorry. That you can't do anything for me. She says, maybe I can. She closes the counter. She disappears. 20 minutes later, she comes. I have a ticket for you. She says, SAS is losing millions. What's a ticket for a nice person? <laughs> and she sent me uh, Stockholm, Oslo, New York. I was off. And I've never forgotten her, but I promise you, she's never forgotten me. So what I heard when you were telling that story is that you were really repeating what she was saying to you, almost as an affirmation and a validation of, I hear you. Right, and I'm with you, meaning I don't say it till I have really been in there. Yes. It was when I landed in her neighborhood of exhaustion and mm. I heard her words, I only repeated them because, you know, I once got a, a fortune cookie and it said, let word go through wisdom tooth on way out of mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and so in this case is let word go through heart mm -hmm. on way out of mouth, meaning I won't say her words as an affirmation and a letting her know that I heard her till the word has entered my heart and I've been in the neighborhood mm. that I knew she was in. Yeah, that woman is exhausted. So when my voice came out with her words, it they came out with heart. Mm. And that's why she suddenly looked, because it yeah. was like there's a human voice here. Yes. And so as a visitor, you will repeat, mm -hmm. like I repeated Yumi's words, but I repeated them only when, when I understood what he told me when he said, I'm not a heart, I'm a man with a heart. I got it. I had objectified my man. Yes. So when I let that really penetrate and I said the words, he knew I was with him. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'm a parakeet or a recorder. Right. That we do not need. Right. That's not into me, see. No. Yeah, that's record and repeat. Right. Why do you think people get divorced or stop talking to their family or break up from friendships? Why do you think intimacy gets broken? That's the survival knot. You see, when we are in those tough neighborhoods, mm -hmm. and they really are tough, all of us have very tough neighborhoods, and we don't know how to dissolve the knot, mm. it becomes unbearable. Yeah. It is unbearable. And so sometimes people say enough is enough. Yeah. And that's, it's true. It's really hard. In, in my own experience, I've had romantic relationships cease and, and have breakups and it be just so difficult and I also have had another experience where it was a friend that walked out of my life that to me was a platonic soulmate mm. and she was my sister and I just thought we'll, we'll die in a nursing home together mm. and there was a misunderstanding that I felt really could have just been easily just talked about and, and moved on to me, it didn't seem life or death. And to her, it was enough to say, I can't be friends with you anymore. Yes. And that, to me, was a bigger heartbreak than any mm. other relationship that's been over because I also believe in what you were talking about earlier about these soul clusters. Mm. And I don't believe it just has to be romantic mm -hmm. or a life partner. It's you have, I have it with my aunt mm. I have it with my mother mm. I have you know with friends that mm. everybody's this same soul tribe and mm -hmm. that you can have lots of soulmates in that way and to me she was one of them yes and it really felt like she died yes. and I couldn't really breathe normally for a very long time 
because it wasn't a uh, breaking of intimacy that I signed up for or was prepared for or knew was happening. Um, and I probably have a lot of work to get over that still. But how do you think people can recover when intimacy gets broken and hearts get shredded and people feel like they can't go on? Yes. Yeah, loss is, is a neighborhood. You know, like now you know that that's really how I look. Yeah. Deep, deep loss is a neighborhood mm-hmm. and right now I'm visiting it with you that place you know the street of it took me so long and I'm not even over it yet mm-hmm. you know and visiting that neighborhood with a soul another soul mm-hmm. is essential because it's in being alone in it mm-hmm. that we feel like I don't know if I can get over that mm-hmm. but the reality is that you are who you are today also because that neighborhood exists in you mm. that knowledge of such a break and and such a heartbreak yeah. exists in you and you are who you are today mm-hmm. because you have that neighborhood and others can feel you there those that know that yeah and love you for it mm-hmm. you know yeah so it's a neighborhood yeah you know do you think that true intimacy can ever really happen if people don't share all their neighborhoods mm-hmm. if they can't. hide them yep if you if you decided that you've put one of those drawbridges th- those doors mm-hmm. i don't know what you call them you know at your bridge yeah and nobody comes into your world there's no intimacy and right. therefore no intimacy. And what does a life without intimacy look like? Hmm. You see, my view is that we are born in connection. Mm-hmm. We're connected yeah. from the very beginning. We get hurt and then we disconnect mm-hmm. and we heal by reconnecting because mm-hmm. we are in essence connected beings. We, we come to be by being connected. Exactly. Our, we're connected to our mother through the umbilical cord. Totally. And, we are yeah. essentially connected beings. Yes. And so if you have put a door at your bridge and you don't let people in and you, you don't come out, mm. you're not living your essence. Yeah. And to live your essence is to live. Yeah. And so you're not alive. Mm-hmm. What about, I just keep saying, what about this? Because I just want (laughs) advice on everything. It's just so amazing. I'm thinking about people that try and get intimacy in the quote-unquote wrong way. Like that might be people who have sex with somebody else for validation and it's misuse of intimacy or people who jump into very serious romantic relationships um quickly or people who are codependent on family like intimacy but it's not the healthiest Mm. how do you think that shows up and and why does it happen and what can we do to make sure that intimacy is in its purest form possible Mm. and not being misused yeah you know this guiding principle i talk about honoring the space crossing the bridge creating the encounter it's a real learning. Mm. It's a learning for all of us. Yeah. It's a learning for our society, for our planet. Mm-hmm. And I think we are at the edge of understanding that. Mm-hmm. That's why I want to give 10 years, you know, of teaching it to the world. Yes. 
And, uh, you know, the, the very hopeful thing mm-hmm. is that if 19 million couples around the world cross the bridge to each other with the way I've described it to you, there is a positive epidemic because it's the tipping point. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be that positive epi- epidemic because our culture pollutes the space, not just the personal space, but the plan- planetary space. We've We've done quite a bit of uh, quite a good job polluting. Oh gosh, yeah. And so those things you were describing are a result of not knowing mm-hmm. how to welcome a guiding principle that says the space between us is sacred, mm-hmm. and we've got to sanctify it. And there's yeah. a bridge between humans, and we got to b- b- cross it, and we can be in the zone of the encounter. Mm-hmm. The fact that our culture is disconnected. Yeah. All these things that you described mm-hmm. are results of the survival dance yes. in our planet, mm. which pollutes the space, both the personal space mm-hmm. and the environmental space. Yeah. And so it's really high time yeah. that we have a guiding principle that says the space is sacred yeah. and we're all responsible for it absolutely and we, and we can cross the bridge to each other mm-hmm. and, and understand the sanctity of each other's worlds and the, and, and how interesting and beautiful these yeah. worlds are and let's get curious mm-hmm. and let's really live in the zone of the encounter yeah. where we are unified mm-hmm. because what's happening when the space is polluted is fragmentation yeah. and division and this is what you see now and mm. every example you gave me was one of division and fragmentation yeah. i think a thing that we're dealing with right now as a generation and as a culture and society is false connection mm-hmm. something i would blame that on which is a platform that can be used for good as well but this new wave of social media mm. and online connection mm. is a really mm. great way to put whatever version of yourself you want up for the world to see and base your value on how many likes you get or mm. who comments mm. or who follows you and it's false connection mm. and it maybe feels safe for some people who are afraid to step into those neighborhoods and have real real intimacy um so i think it's it's like mm. get outside and meet people you, in real life. Yes, you know what I say is that I'm skipping the 21st century because I, I'm not very technological. I'm already living in the 22nd century. And in the 22nd century, people will look into each other's eyes yes. at 18 inches. They'll hold hands. Mm-hmm. They'll breathe together. They'll meditate in connection. They'll mm-hmm. cross the bridge. The 22nd century. Yeah. And so... I'm really looking forward and I'm there already. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm yeah. living in that future where there's been that epidemic, mm-hmm. you know, that positive epidemic of connection. Yeah. What would your advice be to someone who's seeing the bridge and just afraid to take that first step mm. and just needs some encouragement of bravery? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a beautiful Hebrew song and I'm going to sing it. Is that okay? Of course it is. You can do anything and you want. And I'll explain it. It goes like this. Kol haolam kulo gesher tsar meod gesher tsar meod gesher tsar meod kol haolam kulo gesher tsar meod gesher tsar meod
והעיקר, 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 לא לפחד, והעיקר, והעיקר, לא לפחד כלל. And what it says is the whole world is a narrow bridge. Mm. And the most important thing is not to scare yourself. The, the song actually says not to be scared, but the rabbi who actually wrote those words says not to scare yourself. It's a narrow bridge. Cross it. Mm. And he understood. It's not that bad. Yeah, Just he it. understood. Just do it. He understood it's narrow. It's not that you meet in the middle of the bridge. You don't. You cross it all the way to the world of the other to get to know them, mm-hmm. and then they cross it all the way to you to get to know you. Wow. It's a narrow bridge. Wow. Just don't scare yourself. Yes. Do you know how many people you've helped, how many couples? Mm. You know, I really don't know. And well, the reason I don't know is that people share with people. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. Yes. And so... I've trained people who have shared with people, worked with people who have then shared with people. That's what I mean about the tipping point, and mm-hmm. I'm really counting on that tipping point. Yes. Well, may it come quickly. Amen. We, everybody needs Amen your help. Amen to that. Wow. This has been such an amazing conversation. I've learned so much. You've Thank seriously you, blown Jessica. my mind. <laughs> uh, this has been... A manifested conversation and it's such an honor to sit and, and see it materialize so thank you so much thank you everybody needs to take your workshop and hear your amazing advice and and let you guide them through the jungle because you're just an incredible light thank you so much thank you jessica Thank you for joining us on this episode of Let's Be Honest. Be sure to follow us across social media using the tag Let's Be Honest the podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Play. If you or anyone you know is interested in booking a life-changing workshop with Heidi, head to HeidiSchleifer.com for more information. Thank you for listening. I'm Jess and this is 